I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Editing Podcast. So Denise, tell everybody what we're talking about this week. So this week, I'm interviewing you. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You are going to tell me four things I'd need to know if I wanted to become a fiction editor, which I don't, by the way. (laughs) Not ever. (laughs) But lots of people do. So it's it's a great topic to chat about. Now, we could talk all day about this. So we're going to keep it lean and focus on four key things, aren't we? Yeah. So the main types of fiction editing and the kinds of things a fiction editor needs to look out for, what additional training you might need, the market and client expectations, and the need for a flexible hand. Yeah, sounds good. You're up for that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm up for that. Okay, so let's start with the types of editing. And I guess what I want to understand is where's where there's a crossover with non-fiction editing and where there are differences. So let's start with the crossover. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. At foundational level, there's plenty of crossover. We're dealing with macro level structural work like developmental editing, critiques that assess the manuscript strength and weaknesses and its suitability of the target audience and sensitivity reading, which I guess, even if it's not called that in the nonfiction market, is still carried out. So I know you've edited nonfic and I had to check for suitability for that market. How does that work then? Absolutely, yeah. And it it doesn't matter whether you're editing fiction or nonfiction. The foundations are the same. There has to be a good structure and a logical progression in nonfiction. So Mm -hmm. I would think that's similar to like the narrative arc in fiction. Mm -hmm. It has to get its message or its story across and it has to appeal to a specific market or readership. Right. Yeah. So then... um... I guess with fiction, then there's sentence level editing, such as stylistic line editing, copy editing and quality control proofreading. I think the differences come to the fore when we consider the detail of what's being done at those different levels rather than the scope of the editing itself. Right. Yeah. Okay, then. So let's focus on the macro first. You call it developmental or structural editing, just like I would for nonfiction. So it's it's big picture work, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we might call it also um, story level editing because ultimately it's about looking at whether the story works. So developmental fiction editors will be looking at things like plot, story structure and pacing, author style and character voice, world building, setting and perspective, whether the dialogue is effective, the character's goals, motivations and conflicts, the narration style, whether point of view is working, the overall narrative arc, which you mentioned before um, in your work, um, or the equivalent of, and um, also uh, genre considerations. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you don't offer developmental editing, and yet I hear you talk about dialogue and viewpoint a lot. So does that mean that the lines between developmental work and stylistic line editing are a bit blurry? You're spot on, definitely. And I feel strongly that anybody wanting to move into stylistic work, even if it's at sentence level, needs to grasp narrative viewpoint and um, and how characters speak. 
um, because that stuff is happening at the line level. And while it's not always easy to fix at a line editing stage, if there are problems, an editor needs to be able to understand what those are so that they can reflect on it and explain why they're recasting or asking the author to go away and think about it. So oh. it's a case of you you might not actually be doing the work, mm -hmm. but but you need to recognize um, that yeah. need, you need to recognize that somebody needs to do it. You need to understand what the problems are and be able to articulate them. Yeah, even if you're not actually going to do that hmm. work yourself, you yeah. need to be able to, it's like you need to know yeah. what yeah. you don't know. Yeah. In, you need to know enough to know that it's not what you deal with. But yeah, some, yeah. yeah. okay, got yeah. you, right. All right, then. So let's look at line editing. What are you looking out for when you do this kind of work? And what are the problems that you most often encounter? So I'm looking out for authentic phrasing that fits with the character's voice, character trait consistency, that the dialogue is interesting and driving the story forward, but also that it's tagged and punctuated conventionally. I'm also looking at the narrative, the text outside the dialogue to make sure it's engaging and compelling and tight. I'm looking at tenses and whether they make sense. I'm also considering the narration style. So whether the author's using, for example, a, a first, second or third person style. And within that, whether the narrative viewpoint is consistent and logical. And I'm also considering narrative distance, how close the reader feels to the character and whether that's shifting seamlessly and um uh and uh, not just stuck in one place so that it's either overwhelming or dead boring yeah that's a total mystery to me how you do that <laughs> well actually i'm <laughs> presenting about that very thing at the ciep so you can you can come and listen to I'll me i'll come and listen and learn from you definitely <laughs> definitely yeah all right then well well that is definitely an area that i need to understand a bit better because i think sometimes those sort of things do feed into like working with memoir and things like that too yeah yeah, yeah. definitely yeah you're yeah. all that creative non-fiction absolutely do, yeah yeah all right then so moving on can we just talk a little bit about point of view because to the uninitiated it might seem a bit confusing um just start by explaining what that is i mean i know it's a big topic but just give me an your in a nutshell version <laughs> okay <laughs> So viewpoint is the perspective through which we experience the story as readers. A viewpoint character is the one whose interior space we have access to. So we can hear and three, uh, hear and um, see through that. No, we can't see through their eyes. We can't hear yeah, we through can. their eyes. We can't hear through their eyes. We can <laughs> see um, through their, their eyes and hear through their ears, move in their bodies and know their thoughts and emotions. Omniscient narrations allow readers to access everyone's thoughts, but they're really difficult to master and and I think quite difficult to edit. And mm -hmm. most authors these days working on commercial fiction tend to write in a third person limited point of view. Um, and that brings with it restrictions. OK, I'm just going to stop you right there. Yeah. Explain, give an example of thir third person limited point of view. I'll put you on the spot here. Right, yeah, so third person limited is so-called because it's a deeper viewpoint that limits readers to a single character's experience, what they see, hear, feel, and think. And readers get to sit in their skin and that provides quite an immersive experience. It's, it's as if we're, we are them, but it's called third person limited for a reason, because strictly speaking, what that character can't see or know shouldn't be reported. Does right. That makes sense. Yes. So you're you're in the person, but you don't know what anybody else is thinking. Yeah. So it's it's right. kind of like real life. It's like yeah, um, yeah. You know, 
uh, whereas something like Omniscient, which I mentioned earlier, <laughs> the, the narrator has access to all of the characters. It's, it's like they're sort of telepathic or something, and they can access all the different characters' minds, all mm-hmm. the events. They, they, can, they can roam anywhere. Right. That's why it's a really tricky thing to write and a tricky thing to edit, because mm. it's difficult to keep control over. Whereas yeah. once you kind of know the rules, the limitations of a third-person limited point of view... Um, then as long as you abide by those um it, it it's it's easier to 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 stay in control and therefore that's easier for the editor as well but an editor again does need to be familiar with the various different narration styles mm, definitely yeah but when the boundaries of those restrictions those limitations that i talked about are broken we say uh, an author's dropped viewpoint or head hopped and it's a common problem that less experienced fiction write- writers are prone to and that's why i think it's a concept that that even those of us who are working at sentence level we need to grasp it it, it really is should something that should have been dealt with at uh, 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 a level of editing beforehand you know, not authors don't always go through the the various stages of editing in the way that um we'd like them to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and certainly um, hanging out in various online you know editors groups, dropped viewpoint or head hopping, it's something that I it comes up time and again mm-hmm. with editors asking about it or how to deal with it um, or is this. Uh, you know head hopping and it, so... and it really spoils it can you know you can have a great story but it actually stops it stops the reader investing in a particular mm-hmm. character and yeah. um you know I mean, there are some there are some writers who do omniscient narrations really well i'll tell you when it, it works fantastically that narration style is with satirical fiction some of those old masters like dickens and thackeray right right in omniscient um mm-hmm. if you if you take a look and what once you once you can identify that that sort of all-seeing godlike om, omniscient eye casting its um yeah gaze over over the the, the it gives the um it, it's quite it can be great for satire because it allows the the narrator or the author through the that narrative voice to poke a little bit of fun at, at their characters um but in that case you are you are very much asking the reader to step outside you're right. not you're not sort of immersing them in that person's head and their, mm-hmm. their emotional experience yeah it's it's really interesting because particularly because I'm a non-fiction editor I never even thought about it in my pleasure reading before I got to know you <laughs> and learn a bit more about it I mean I don't think I ever even noticed it and I suppose that's that's the thing about good writing is that your attention shouldn't be drawn to it really again you've nailed it when viewpoints handle well the reading experience is seamless and we feel engaged with the story and the character experience and that's just it we don't notice it i bet the fiction you've read and loved in the past 12 months has been in great shape in terms of narrative point of view if it wasn't you probably Mm -hmm. didn't feel perhaps um as engaged with the characters or maybe you got bored with the novel yeah. or you, you felt the character characterization was a bit flat you know probably something would have jarred if it wasn't yeah well certainly well. some of the really good stuff that I've read recently has come on your recommendations so I don't think yeah. you'd recommend stuff to me that that wasn't tight in that sort of respect yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean there are things like like obviously if a if an author's writing in first person that's um that's a really easy way to to help make ensure that they hold viewpoint because it's very difficult to write from the perspective of I mm-hmm. <laughs> and and accidentally start reporting what what somebody else can can think or 
But is that something that maybe inexperienced authors do without realizing it? Not not so much with really? um, first person narratives, but right. Um, other, I'm not, I won't get into it, but there are there are other, sort of other challenges with with that sometimes okay. with first person na- narrations in that I think sometimes authors can spend too much time in. Uh, right. Well, we talked earlier about narrative distance, but they can spend so much time in that eye space and so mm-hmm. too much time perhaps focusing on the emotional interior space of, of the character's experience that actually it becomes a bit exhausting. And, right, and, right. And, we, and we can't actually dig into the story. So, you know, just thinking what you and I were talking about, the books we've recommended each other recently. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we've enjoyed those because they're a cracking story. They've got yeah. a great plot and you moved, you, you, you went move on a journey on. from A yeah. to B and, and, and you weren't so exhausted because or drained by constantly being slammed with um the the kind of whirl of someone's um emotional experience constantly so it's all about control yeah very good right okay but it is the only thing i say it's quite a gut feeling to a lot of this there's not a lot of instinct on it yeah yeah yeah. okay all right then so what other sort of problems do you find that you come across quite often so overwriting is common. Lots of exposition that repeats what the author's already shown through dialogue or prose that's rather flat and reads like a shopping list. It's what we call told prose. And um, it can be really boring to read, lacking intention, prose that makes you not want to turn the page. Mm, so it's, right. you know, it's expository. It explains things. You do need that because that, because that, that, that's about moving the story forward. But it's it kind can of be too opposite. much of it yeah. yeah yeah it's kind of yeah. the opposite of what I was talking about before you know you yeah. need to have too much emotional too much exposition and um and so with with that overwriting that that the story's there it's behind it but it's a, it might be a case for the fiction editor of helping the author tease it out by tightening up sentences and letting letting it sing yeah got you and another big thing is dialogue that's too realistic now, how can that be a thing? I mean, isn't isn't realistic dialogue a good thing? Actually, not always. Think about the conversations you have with people, the conversations that you and I have, and how much right, a lot of nonsense most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah, lot <laughs> yeah. a lot of fluff is in there. Um, and how yeah. think about how if someone read a, a, a transcript of us chatting they'd be bored rigid by a lot of it um the pleasantries the mundane yeah. stuff that only you and I are interested in uh, about how we're just going to make a cuppa and whether there's any milk in the fridge and the all the umming and ahhing we do <laughs> are you calling me boarding Harmby <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bored by our convos but I bet a lot of listeners to our catch-up chat about how our days been would be <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those just aren't conversations that are crafted for readers or listeners. They're personal. Mm-hmm. And um, so while they're really, really important in real life, dialogue needs to respect um, the fact that the readers bought a novel and it needs the dialogue, therefore, needs to function for readers. And that means that editors need to be helping authors craft a sort of hybrid that sounds just realistic enough to be natural, but that omits all the incidental boring stuff. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, again, when I think back to my pleasure reading, you're right. The dialogue is only the interesting stuff, not how many sugars someone takes in their tea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So let's move on and talk about training. So how does an editor learn this stuff? Because that's not in foundational editorial training. I mean, the sort of core skills stuff. No, Um 
But I do think that core skills training is a great first start because it teaches you about publishing industry standards and conventions. And if you're fiction editing for indie authors, you need to know that stuff because the writer might not or they they think they don't. Mm. Um, we covered this this very issue, didn't we, on the in the issue on um, on the episode on training. Yes. So, yeah. As you've pointed out, you you have expectations about your fiction because you've been reading for eons and you want a book to be compelling you want to engage with the characters yeah yeah and I kind of expect it to look a certain way too so you know I expect the speech to be punctuated in a certain way the paragraph spacing to look like it always looks yeah and I expect it to be readable and and to get to the point I you know I want to turn the page and not be bored just like a textbook you know plus I imagine if you're proofreading fiction for publishers they'll be expecting you to mark up according to industry standard practice exactly and they'll have a house style guide too that will determine spelling and punctuation style and layout guidelines that sentence level editors need to adhere to plus there's other things that core skills training rams into you consistency clarity and sense so I always recommend that fiction editors start in the same place as non-fiction editors Absolutely. That just makes an awful lot of sense, really. Yeah. yeah. So after that, what about specialist training? Do you think it's enough to do core skills on their own? So there are specialist fiction editing courses and books that help editors hone their craft at both developmental and sentence level. We can include um, a link in the show notes to a book that I've created that lists some of those and um, some books on the subject. But what I also recommend is that wannabe fiction editors read a lot of fiction. Mm. That's 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 a great starting point, particularly the fiction they most want to edit, because that's how you can start to see what works and how the authors you love reading captivate you. Do I think core skills are enough? I think we need more than that, precisely because of those issues we've already discussed. Overwriting, exposition, viewpoint, dialogue. Editors need to be able to guide their authors and to do that, they need to understand how those things work when there are problems and when there aren't and how to edit mindfully, which and we'll talk about this in a bit, but that might mean ignoring something that wouldn't be acceptable in, in a non-fic text. All right. So give me an example of that then, if you can. So we've chatted about this before, but a non-fiction editor might see a sentence with no commas in it and think there's a mistake or that the punctuation is poor or sloppy. A fiction editor might recognise that a particular literary device is in play, something called polysyndeton. Uh, it's a rhythmic tool that helps to convey emotion. Um, you're going to ask me what that is now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> polysyndeton is when um, a sentence, instead of having the usual structure, which might be I like oranges, comma, apples and pears, um, polysyndeton would remove those commas and just have conjunctions instead. So it might be, I like oranges and apples and pears and fruit right. and crisps and cake and pie. And <laughs> All right, we don't need to know what you had for your dinner tonight. <laughs> but it's but a, re- I, yeah, it's a really it. powerful rhythmic tool that helps to convey emotion. Um, and so editing that out would be butchery. Yet yeah. the same kind of issue in one of your business texts might be completely inappropriate and you'd need to attend to it. So fiction editors need to learn about the stuff, that stuff, so that they get it. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. Definitely. Yeah. Polly Sinderton, there's something that I don't have to deal with <laughs> on the daily. <laughs> yes. You'll probably, yes. Have, you'll probably, it might sometimes come up in one of your mem- well, memoirs. In the Absolutely. Future. Yeah, I think it would. And as you've said before, being able to recognise that for what it is, mm. is important. Yeah. Mm. 
So now let's move on and talk a bit about the market and client expectations. So you've mentioned publishers and indie authors, but I'm getting the sense that perhaps those two markets might at times need treating quite differently. I know they certainly do when it comes to non-fic in my experience. Definitely. So publishers tend to use editing terminology much like you and I use it. They won't expect a proofreader to be doing structural work and they know what the order of play is in terms of the different levels of editing. But, and like you say, this is the same in the non-fic indie market. Indie authors might ask for one type of editing, say copy editing, and expect that the editor will be handling stylistic or structural problems. Mm. Or they might think they're ready for proofreading, even though the book hasn't been through any of the editing stages. Mm. And so that's, again, why fiction editors need to understand those core concepts and literary devices that are specific to fiction so that they can ask a potential client the right questions and assess from a sample whether what the authors ask for is what their book actually needs. Yeah, and while the issues might be different in terms of those literary devices you mentioned, that principle of not making assumptions about terminology or expectations, well, that's exactly the same across the whole editing spectrum when it comes to working with those beyond the mainstream publishing industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap up, let's now talk about that flexible hand. We sort of got onto that when we talked about Polly Sinderton, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. So okay. essentially, we're talking about prescriptivism, aren't we? <laughs> that dreaded <laughs> word. Yeah. yeah, so my take on this is, is, is that if you want to edit fiction, you need to embrace rule, rule breaking. Yeah. Um, so you and me are both invested in respecting style, but I suspect that for you, that might mean considering things like brand, house style, layout, and other technical issues more often than for me, um, where style might mean thinking a little bit more about author preferences and character voice. Certainly in the work that you do for, say, uh, your, 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 your business publishers and yeah. your, your social science publishers, as mm -hmm. opposed to me working with it directly with indie authors. Yeah, yeah. And so, for example, you might be asked by a client to use the serial comma for the most part, whereas um, commas for me have... Um, they have a grammatical function, but they can also affect suspense and drama and tension. And, and so a fiction editor needs to be able to chill out <laughs> the style <laughs> guys to one side if voice and rhythm are being served without damaging readability. It doesn't matter what the Chicago Manual of Style recommends in terms of how to render numbers, for example. It's a useful <laughs> style guide, but if implementing that guidance would make, say, the dialogue awkward or not fit with character voice then the editor needs to be ready to ignore it yeah and star guides i think with fiction often have little to say about rhythm and mood and emotion and so i think prescriptivism is a particularly poor fit for fiction editing and can lead mm. to editors damaging a text rather than improving it so if you're a pres prescriptivist like probably i don't go into this field <laughs> just yeah or learn to chill out yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah one or the other yeah i agree yeah so let me ask you one more thing do you think it's a fiction editor's job to offer a recast if the sentence isn't working or is it enough to flag up the problem? Um, I have my own take on this for the work I do, but I've seen it asked uh, by newbie fiction editors before, so I'm interested in your take. So like you, I suspect, for me, it depends on what I've been hired to do. Scope creep is a killer. Mm -hmm. so if you've been hired to proofread and I, I've made it clear that's what I'm going to include. I'm not going to spend hours suggesting recast. But if I've been hired to line edit, 
so stylistic work, I'd always offer a solution. Right. I'm not being hired to be a writer, that's true. But if I think that the dialogue isn't working, I think I should be offering an alternative that would work. At least something to help the author. They don't have to follow it, but they... You could nudge them to yeah, think about it, yeah. Give them something to even decide, no, I don't want to do it like this, but mm -hmm. I see what she's she's getting at. So yeah. And so, yes, in, the, in that case, I think when it comes to line editing, I think it comes with a job, yeah. a, will, a willingness to do it. Yeah. And that, again, that comes back to what we talked about in terms of learning about the specialist aspects of fiction editing and those literary devices and tools. I hear you witching on about Harmby, you know, free <laughs> indirect speech. That's another of your favourites. Oh, <laughs> Let's not go there today. Uh, the point is that to offer that recast or decide to leave the text alone, you need to know first what the problem is or even if there is a problem. And then secondly, how to communicate that. And third, how it might be done better. Yeah. And, and that does mean specialist learning, either through books or courses. Yeah, That's it. God, I love free and direct style. <laughs> it's a little bit of magic. Enough, enough, <laughs> Army. <laughs> so that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yes, thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast. We'll pop that link um, of that guide um, that I mentioned in the show notes. And um, just to let you know, we will be doing this with Denise. I'll be, I'll be putting her on the spot. <laughs> but for now, she's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.